Welcome to Required Listening. I'm your host, Scott Goldman, Artistic Director of the Grammy Museum. Each week in the Clive Davis Theater, I've got the opportunity to speak to artists from across the musical spectrum about their careers, their struggles, their inspiration, and their creative process. Now, I am a very lucky guy, as are the 200 people that get to join me at the Grammy Museum. But now, with required listening, I'm thrilled to share these remarkable interviews with you. On today's episode, my conversation with Rock and Roll Hall of Fame member Jeff Lynne. With a career that extends back to the 1960s, his resume is truly astounding. Founding member of Electric Light Orchestra, founding member of the Travelin' Wilburys, multi-platinum and Grammy-winning producer. Jeff Lynne is one of the most successful artists and producers in modern music. Yet with all that success, he has to be the most humble superstar I've ever encountered. We got together following a screening of the ELO concert film Wembley or Bust. I think you'll hear how his affable and self-deprecating persona belies his gifts as a supremely talented songwriter and producer. But when you hear him talk about his reverence for his musical heroes, Del Shannon and Roy Orbison, you begin to understand the depth of his commitment to music and what that commitment means to him personally. We'll also discuss the current iteration of ELO, playing sold-out shows around the world, and what it feels like to see multiple generations of fans enjoying his music. So let's go to the Clive Davis Theater and listen to my conversation with Jeff Lynne. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the sole producer and songwriter of ELO, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame member, Jeff Lynne. Scott. Hello, hello, one, two, one, two. Hey, there we are. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming, by the way. It's a, it's a great pleasure to have you all here. It is. It's great to have you here. I know, I thought that as well, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't really. I've been here before. Um, but I just was, it was just so nice to hear it sounding good in a, in a yeah, theatre like mean, this. When, when you see it, what, what do you think? Oh, well, I think what a load of work that was. <laughs> it really was, because, you know, it's, it's like, it's the first time I've ever played for two hours for a start. And that is a long squawk for me, because I usually give in about one and a half hours. I go, enough. No. My throat's going to clap yeah. in a minute. You know, I'm like, <laughs> no more. Um, but I just carried on, because I knew it was one and only time we'd ever play in a giant place like that and film it at once. Yeah, so we needed the film of all those songs, which is 23, by the way. Well done for sitting through it all. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but Mike, I mean, it, um, it's, it's an amazing catalogue of songs. It's just... Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. And by, and by the way, um, how, how, did you, how long did it take to assemble that band? That was quite... That's quite a band. <laughs> It's a wonderful band, and I love them. I love them to bits, every one of them. I think they're great guys. There's one guy missing out, the, out of the band at the moment, and that's Richard Tandy. Richard Tandy, yeah. Uh, who wasn't well, but he will be well for the next tour when we come back to America. Well, that's great. Yeah. And, and we'd love to hear that there's a next tour. Yeah, which that, will be That's next pretty year. exciting. Yeah, I know, it's absolutely amazing. I, I thought I'd pack that in, but obviously I haven't. Yeah. Well, and this all... <laughs> 
And, and this all kind of started, this, this um, uh, revitalization, resurgence of ELO, 2014 in Hyde Park. Yes. What, what inspired well, that show? Well, the thing is, I'd done a little documentary, which was called Mr. Blue Mr. Sky. Mr. Blue Sky, which you came and, and we showed it here. Yeah, we showed it here. Yeah. And that's what started it. And then suddenly the BBC got on and said, how'd you like to play a concert in Hyde Park, you know, top of the bill, which was 50,000 people. Yeah. And I thought, well, nah. Why bother? <laughs> you know, I thought, yes, of that. course, I'd love to. And, um, and that's how that happened. And it, that was a marvellous thing, because I was so worried about that, because that was the first big proper show for many, many years, you know, well, 30 years, actually. <laughs> but, but don't mention it um, on the resume. Um, it's actually, it's, it's very strange to be doing this film here now again, yeah. because when I looked at it, I thought the group is, was totally brilliant, and I love them all, I really do. Yeah. They're fantastic. Yeah. Were you concerned in, in, in Hyde Park that, that, that maybe the, the, the fans wouldn't be there? Was, was, was there a, a nervousness about that? Yes. I thought there'd be nobody there, and I kept saying to my manager, Craig, um, you know, what if there's nobody left when we get on? You know, because we last on. A big, long day full of music, you know, like probably, I don't know, eight hours of it or something. And we're on last, so by the time it gets dark, yeah. and I thought, oh, God, I hope there's somebody still here. And I, and I climbed up these ladders <laughs> to the stage, and it was packed to the, you know, the whole park yeah. was packed. Oh, great. It was 50,000 people. So I went, well, maybe they do like it, this music, after yeah. all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you I'll know, it's, it's very hard to know, when you're a songwriter of all the songs, you know, it's, it's quite difficult to know who likes what and... and and how it goes, but most people tell me they, that they like it very much, so that, that's always a great thing. And it keeps me going, and I'm writing a new album at the moment. Even better. And I'm seven songs better. in, so thank you. And I, I hope you'll like it when you hear it. <laughs> better wait and see. <laughs> in, the, in the early days, in the very early days of, of ELO, how did you describe the band? If somebody asked you, yeah, yeah, you're in, you're in this band, what do, what, what do they do? What, How early do you want? <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> well, very early. It was, like a, it was like a shambles, really. Yeah. yeah. People falling over and stuff and, and wires all wrapping around people's necks. and, <laughs> and Marching around with cello cellos. spikes, yeah. throwing them into people's chests. It was a horrible <laughs> experience. I hated that first trip. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I have to ask you, although I think I know the answer, how did, how did those early shows sound? <laughs> <Crap>. <laughs> because there was, no, honestly, there's a reason why. It wasn't anything to do with the guys or the people who were playing it. It was because there was no technology in 1972 to, to mic up or to amplify violins and cellos and stuff like that. There just weren't anything. And suddenly this pickup came out that strapped onto the violin itself, onto mm. the bridge, and onto the cello. And suddenly you could hear them. Instead of this feedback, what we used to get all the time, it's like, here we go, 105 Red Overture. Boo! <laughs> Great, what do you think? <laughs> Lovely, thank you. Uh, once the pickups came along, it became a lot of fun. And, and you could actually hear the people play. And then we went, hang on. Which was worse, the 
or, the, <laughs> or what they were playing. <laughs> I'm kidding. Sorry, everybody. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I, I read you. You've talked about "Evil Woman" as being a song where you you, you kind of learned you learned about songwriting and production, writing that song, recording that song. Well, what I did learn was that I could actually write a song in six minutes. And I didn't know I could do that before. I could, I'd never tried. Because uh, yeah. I sent the rest of the group out because I was one short uh, on the... Um, Face the Music. Face the Music album. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And I knew it was something like that. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, no, I was one. I, I, really, I thought I hadn't got. A, I haven't got a proper hit single on here, you know yet. And yeah. I'm going to make one up now. So you go up it, you know, down the shops or whatever. In Germany, this is in Munich. And uh, they came back, and luckily I got this song within six minutes, and it was like, "Evil Woman." So I was, Phew, that'll do. I, that's, that's <laughs> <laughs> and we made the record like that afternoon, and. Um, a few overdubs later, you know, we had another session, put some, put the strings on and all that, and then they put the vocals on. And uh, it was shocking to me because that I did it in six minutes. And yeah. The actual main theme of, and everything was done. Done. Yeah. Has that happened since? No. <laughs> 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 Wish it would. Bloody but, hell. Yeah, well, yeah. We're, we're glad it happened that time. That, yeah, uh, that's no, true. No, no doubt. Can, who, growing up, who were your songwriting heroes? Who were your, your, who'd you listen to and think that that's what I want to do? Well, basically it was, it was Roy Orbison and Del Shannon and the early Beatles. Yeah. And that's yeah. what I used to love most yeah. of all. I think looking at it now, Roy Orbison was probably the greatest talent that I ever heard of, you know, ever, and even now I listen to some of his stuff. I, I always listen to his stuff. I can, like, binge listen to Roy Orbison for, like, days on end <laughs> and just go, oh, did you hear that bit then? You know, it's just magnificent. It's just beautiful beyond belief. Um, Del, I loved from the first record I ever loved was Runaway and my dad actually splashed out for the ticket because six and sixpence, which is six shillings and sixpence in old money, which is now, like, about threepence sapney in old money. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, I, I don't know what it is. Uh, whatever it is, it was, you know, it's like dirt cheap nowadays, but it was really expensive in those days. I went to see Del live and yeah. it just blew my mind because it was just so fantastic and mm. handsome and lovely Moet suit. And his voice was like, whoa, strident. It was in this tiny place called Birmingham Town Hall, which held... 900 people. And, but, but, the, but speaking of Del Shannon and, and Roy Orbison, to a certain degree, their, their music was, it was almost plaintive. It was... Yeah. Um, they were both plaintive, and that's yes. why I loved them so much. Yeah. Because I think that's what comes over in my music a little bit, the, the sort of painful part of stuff. Right. You know, like, you know, where's she gone or what happened. Yeah, because I listened to that. that, and then I listened to Can't Get It Out of My Head, and it's... There's, there's, there's the same thing going on there. There is a little bit of yeah. loneliness and, uh, you know, it's just what you can write about. You know, I can't write, usually write jolly songs. I, I, now and again I'll come up with one, but they're usually like a bit sort of grim or, yeah. or, or yeah. like the, the other... something terrible happened in the second chorus. <laughs> <laughs> 
The other thing I found fascinating is, um, so in the, in, you know, in the 70s, disco was in its, in its glory. Um, and and you have you have praised disco. You have come to praise. I love disco. disco. I love it. I always have loved it ever since it, I heard that first bang, 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 and I realised, wow, you just keep the bangs and then just fill the holes in with someone else. <laughs> <laughs> and it worked. I mean, Shine Little Love is the perfect example right there. Yeah, yeah. And last straight to London. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed doing disco. But you found I the places to fill in mm-hmm. in, in, in disco that, that kind of brought it over to, to rock audiences. Yeah, I think it did, and which is very lucky in a way, but I just enjoyed that beat and I just loved just that strictness of it. Mm. So I could, you can bend it either side of it, you know, but you know, it just gives you that freedom to, to go out on a limb with that steady beat underneath. That's my excuse anyway. And, and, <laughs> and in the, you know, by, by the time in the, in the later 70s, you guys, are, you guys are playing big buildings. You're, you're, you're out, this is, this is one of the bigger tours around, and you got that giant spaceship thing. Whatever happened to that? <laughs> I believe it got scrapped in a shipyard in East Anglia. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, it was like the biggest thing ever, and what are you gonna do with it? when you're fed up with it. Well, if you had hung on to it, we could have done an exhibit here around. Oh, you could. You'd have to build a bigger building. (laughs) (laughs) We're working on that, actually. It was just kind of funny. Um, Did it ever malfunction? Did the thing ever, like, go wrong? Yeah, always. (laughs) Like, it'd, like, it would all be underneath it to start with. Yeah. And we'd all be waiting there, you know, anticipating this lift that's going to go up. We're standing on our lift, we have our own lift each. And some of them don't move. They just stay there like dead weight. <laughs> and so if it's your one that's doing that, you jump on one that's going on, going up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Quick as you can. And then, and then one night, maybe two nights, there's somebody, the lift has gone up to as far as the stage floor and they got their head sticking out. <laughs> going, you bastards, <laughs> bastards. And they got really mad, they're really angry about it. <laughs> it was hilarious, but you know. And we were all going, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad for you. No, I, I refuse to remember who it was. <laughs> so the, I, I, I want to ask you about the song Don't, Don't Bring Me Down because, first song without strings. And, and I'm wondering, did it. Did the, did the novelty of the strings kind of wear off oh, after a while? Oh, big time, yeah. I, I used to, it started out where like, oh, it's string day today. So we got the orchestra in for like two sessions of three hours each, which used to go, I used to go, oh, fantastic. Finally nail these and get them beautiful. And, and then like a few albums later, like two or three albums later, it's like, oh, it's string day today. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want any more bleeding strings on anything. You know, I'm fed up with them now. But, you know. Don't want to deal with those guys. But, well, because they were all unionized and they would not play past a minute past what they were playing. And, you know, even if you're at the end of a song, they'll they'll just stop playing and put the stuff away. And there's one (laughs) minute to go on the song. And they go, oh, hang on. If you want us to play that other minute, then you've got to play us for another session. 
So it wasn't very pleasant at all. You yeah. Know? It was just nasty. It, you didn't feel nice with him because you felt, ugh, I don't want to do this really, but I'll have to pay another session fee for, the, for like 30 musicians just to play one minute. So they weren't very nice. I'm talking about 40 odd years ago. Uh, they're not like that now, I'm sure, because the string synths are really good now. <laughs> <laughs> so it's one guy in the corner yeah. <laughs> with, a, with a synth. Well, we got, we got three real strings in our group, of course, as well. Yes, yes. Um, the, the film clearly shows, and, and one of the great things about the film, besides the fact that it's shot so well and it just looks great and sounds great, but the audience, multiple generations, young folks who clearly, and don't take this the wrong way, were I'm not born. I'm already. We're not, it the wrong way. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I have to leave now. Um, now we're not born when your first hit came out, and yet they are singing they every are. word. Because they've been force-fed it by their parents, <laughs> haven't they? And, which I love, because how else are you going to spread it to everybody, you know? And, and when, they, when you see them on the film, and the, and the kids are singing, and they're happy to be singing it. Yes. It just makes you feel really good, you know, because uh, when you're a songwriter, that's what you want to do. You're trying to connect with as many people as possible to try and have them enjoy that moment, you know. And if they do, it's wonderful. If they don't, then hard luck, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and we have to talk about the, the physical place, Wembley. Because that, that, that really means something. People in the United States may not, may not be as aware. But Wembley Stadium is, it's, yeah. it's the Yankee Stadium. It is. Of, a, of the UK. It's an icon, you know, and yeah. that is like a real big one because the football, you know, the soccer in England, that's where they play all the very important games. And so from, from a kid growing up, Wembley is like the home of like, oh, your favorite fantasies and everything, yeah. you know, football-wise and music-wise because they've been having concerts there for many, many years as well. And did so you go see shows there by any chance? I actually played in one on a, uh -huh. on a um, you know, way down the list of yeah. like a couple of acts down. Yeah. So I just did a couple of numbers on there. But uh -huh. I've never been, you know, the, the group that went on to be top of the bill. Yeah, yeah. Except till that film what you just saw. So that was, yeah, and that know, turned, waited it, a while for it. Yeah, and it turned out pretty well. Um, <laughs> when, when, when you, Dissolved ELO in, in 1986 or so. Did you plan to go into production? Did you plan? Oh, absolutely. I you did? I didn't want to play anymore with the group as it was. Um, it just wasn't, I wasn't enjoying myself in it. And then mm -hmm. when George Harrison asked me if I would like to work on him, work with him, not, not work on him. <laughs> <laughs> that was later. <laughs> Cheeky thing. Um, <laughs> no, worked with him on his album, on a, on a new album he wanted to make. Um, Dave Edmonds told me that at dinner one night. And he said, oh, by the way, uh, George asked me if, he, if you'd like to work on him, work with him on his new album. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I said, you're kidding, really? And I said, that's good. And he, he said, yep. And um, he's asked me to take you around to his house tomorrow. 
And I go, okay then, let's do it. And I went round in Dave's car and he dropped me off there. I went in to George's house, which is like this giant palace, you know, beautiful, unbelievable thing. And I was frightened to go in, really, because I wasn't Winston Churchill or something. <laughs> 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 Didn't know how to handle it. But um, anyway, so I went in there and Olivia said, oh, he's down by the lake. He's, he's going to give you a, a boat ride. And I thought, great, that'd be good. Anyway, I went down to the lake, and then he was, the real George, there he was, just standing there going, hey, I'm going to take you on a boat ride, but we're going into some tunnels. So what? don't put your hands outside the boat. Just leave your hands inside and grip with your bum. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's what happened. You have to learn how to grip with your butt. And that's something I learnt before I even started recording with him. <laughs> Things you learn from a beetle. It's fantastic. From the um, best. Only from the best. Only, only from the best. But uh, speaking of producing, I read a quote of yours where you said it wasn't, it wasn't like you imagined. How, how, how so? How, how did... How, how did producing turn out for you? What, what, why wasn't it like you imagined it would be? You mean producing in general? Or yeah, producing, yeah, yeah, that, that, that production was not as you imagined it would be. I suppose I must have meant that it wasn't as hard as I thought it would have been. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah. I'd, I'd been doing it for so many years before that. And I know how to produce myself, my own records, but I'd never tried producing somebody else's. So that was the hard bit. It was like, oh, I bet it's ever so hard doing that because yeah. you've got to please all these other people as well as yourself. Yeah. But it turned out that, that it worked out that everybody enjoyed what I did. So wonderful. Yeah, great. <laughs> You mentioned uh, George Harrison, but you know ultimately you got to work with Roy Orbison and, and Bob oh. Dylan, and these are you know these you've said th these are your heroes, and and I'm wondering as you're doing that, did you occasionally have to kind of turn off the the fan in you, like oh my god, I'm working with George Harrison and Roy Orbison? How did well, you it was that? pretty amazing. I must I must admit, you know, the first Wilbury session was like uh, we're all there except Bob. Yeah. So Tom's there, I'm there, yeah. Roy's there, George's there. And then we're sitting around the table with all our guitars ready to go. And we go, oh, Bob's late, isn't he? <laughs> 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 so we're going, I wonder if he's coming? No, of course he's coming. And it, of course he came. And we wrote this wonderful song. George had already written it, actually, half of it. And we finished it off in Bob Dylan's garage. There's not many people can say that. They produce a record in Bob Dylan's garage. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I, uh, and, and fair warning, I'm gonna ask for a couple questions from the house here in a minute, but um, I have to ask you about Tom Petty. Um, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love Tom. Yeah. And, Tom and was the coolest guy yeah. I've ever known. He really was. He was just cool, personified, and what a terrible loss. I yeah. just seen him play at the... At the ball. At the Hollywood Bowl, about like four nights before. Yeah. Yeah. It was just... I couldn't believe it when that... Uh, 
Is, is, is there is there a moment in the in the in the years that you worked with him? Is there a moment in in the, in the, in the studio or or just hanging around that stands out for you that is somehow emblematic of who you knew him to be? Many of them, actually, many yeah. moments, many. Yeah. When he strikes up with his with his vocal, you know, we, we've already written the song and that, and we've got the backing down. Uh -huh. And when he strikes up with his vocal, well, there's no mistaking what that's about. It's mm -hmm. Tom Petty, and he's doing his his thing. Yeah. And, and he was always so cool. He managed to keep it cool always. Mm -hmm. He never strayed over that line where he was uncool. Always great. I loved Tom so much, and uh, it was a terrible shock, obviously, to everybody, I'm sure. But I, I knew him kind of pretty well, and uh, and it was uh, just devastating, really. Yeah. Um, so, in the film, you you talk about things yet to be done and and things you want to you you still want to do. What what are you thinking about these days? Where what what do you want to be doing? I just like I love messing with music, you know. Basically, that's what I do. That's all I've ever done since I was eighteen, you know. And it's quite a long time ago now. <laughs> and I just love it, you know. I still yeah. love it. I have the same passion. Probably a little bit lazier than I was, but I will go at something until I get it, you know. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'll get this mm -hmm. bastard, you know. If it takes me months but and i love doing that I, yeah. I love chasing that tune and that melody and that that set of words that fits right on the good bit where you so you can you know you can have a a real nice melody that's got good words and they all come at the right place that's the hardest bit yeah. of all of it still find still finding the, the the unusual chords that go together. oh i love chords yeah chords are my my thing you know i just love chords and I, I would just, I do sit there searching out chords and I, f I still find new ones, which I can't believe. <laughs> and I go, where the hell was that hiding all these years? <laughs> you know, because it's only one piece of wood that big. So how many times can you miss it? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so we got, we got time for one or two questions from, uh, from the assembled throng here. Yes, sir, right here. To decide to do Roll Over Beethoven. You know, it was a long, long time ago. It was one of the first things I thought of being like a pseudo or semi pseudo classical influenced pseudo rock and roll, uh, <laughs> pop pseudo, um, <laughs> you know, whatever. I, wanted, I thought, what a perfect song for, for, uh, to introduce some classical strings into a rock and roll number is Roll Over Beethoven because of Beethoven's fifth. And that's all it was. It was the simplest idea I've ever had and it was a good one because still, we still do the same encore 45 years later. Yeah. <laughs> I know, you could say, why don't you learn and it, a new one? <laughs> and, it's still, and it's still killing them. Yes, right here. Hi, uh, yeah, the, uh, the Beatles anthology. Yeah. Yeah, there was a third song. It was never really on the table to do. We were only going to ever do two, two songs. But the, the one that was the third one, 
um, we sort of worked a little bit on it, and and then George decided. George didn't like it very much. He thought it's not really good, is it? You know, and that, <laughs> that's what Paul said. Anyway, he told me that. <laughs> <laughs> There was some guy on the internet who finished it off, and I wondered if you've heard it. No, I never have heard it, no. Oh, okay. Was it all right? Yeah, it was like you did. Huh? Really? I'll have to check that out. Oh, you'll have to, you'll have to, <laughs> way, way in the back, yes, sir. Yeah, you plan to do a tribute to Tom Petty on your new album? Tribute to Tom on the new record. Uh, do I play on tribute to Tom? Yeah, on the new record. Will you, will you do anything in tribute to Tom? Oh, I see. Now, I haven't thought of that yet, yet but I've got, like probably another five or six to, to record yet. Um, I could, maybe. That's a, that's a nice idea. Thank you for that idea. Yeah, yeah, right here. Jeff, many people have, have covered your songs in the past, some of your older ones, from like, from like The Move, when Cheap Trick did uh, California Man. Have you ever thought about pulling some of those out of the bag and do some of your Idol Race songs or <laughs> roof songs? Oh, now you're going well, back. You are. 1893. That one came out. <laughs> I think that was that was before electricity and before gas. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but um, not really, because actually, California Man wasn't one of my songs. That was a Roy Wood song. Um, I did the other side, Do Ya, which which they switched and made that the A side, eventually. But um, I've got no real desire to do any more of the old ones. Uh, you know, if I listen to them again, maybe for a, you know, just have a, a session listening to them all, there might be one that, that, that I would like to do or two. But, we'll you see. know, it's all kind yeah. of, it's all we got, old. We got, we got time for one or two more. Yes, sir, right here. Now that you've had a few decades to look back, is, what are your favorite ELO albums? Favorite ELO albums? Yeah. Um, I would probably say that uh, I would have to say that Out of the Blue is probably my favourite, but I also like On the Third Day, which is an, an early one. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, I like that because it's so different. It's quirky and it's not like anything else. So we've got time for one more. Yes, right here. So the, an idle race reunion. They, they could. There's three of them. <laughs> they could. That, I'd love it. Which you means know. you may still get to go to England. You just won't see. Jeff well, there. I might pop up for one number. You know. Yeah. The skeleton and the roundabout. Oh, very, <laughs> very meaningful lyrics. There you, you go. You got to be careful. <laughs> So last, uh, la last question, um, ELO was uh, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. And I'm wondering, and deservedly so, and I'm, thank I'm, you. I'm, what does that kind of recognition mean to you? It's just very nice to be in a club where the only amount of, the amount of people, when they sent me a letter like saying, you, congratulations, you're one of... 823 people ever inducted into the Hall of Fame. Yeah. People, not groups. Yes. So I felt quite privileged to be in that bunch, mm. you know, considering Chuck Berry's in it mm. and the Beatles and the, everybody you've ever heard of. <laughs> so I'll take it. Thank you. 
<laughs> well, uh, all I know is it, it's 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 a terrific film. Um, uh, the, the music is is undeniable. We could not be more pleased that you took the time to bring the film and come and talk about it, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks, Scott. Jeff Lynn. Thank you. Thank you very much. You gotta love that story about the early ELO shows. It sounded like chaos and an awful lot of fun. Jeff is out touring with ELO this year, and I highly encourage you to go see a show. Short of that, check out the recent concert film, Wembley or Bust, and you'll know every song. And that's your required listening for today. Keep the conversation going with us. We're on all the socials at Grammy Museum. If you're coming to Los Angeles, I hope you'll visit us. All the information is at our website, grammymuseum.org. Finally, thanks to the team that brings you required listening. Justin Joseph, Jim Canella, Lynn Sheridan, Miranda Moore, Callie Weissman, and Michael Rohrabacher. Until next time, I'm Scott Goldman.